recorded at the Hen House Rehearsal Studios. It's the Mission Control Podcast. Hello, we are back. I have Sam Ma here. Hello. Hello, all the way from Hobart. Yeah. How <laughs> did yeah. you get in? Uh, we got in, well, I got in yesterday. Was it yesterday morning? No, it was two days ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you've been on uh, on tour with uh, Katie Steele. Yep. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big one as well. I think there was... 16 dates all around Australia, mm-hmm. so all the regionals as well as the cities. Brought me places I've never been around Australia, so that was good. Crazy. You've done like 13 dates already yeah. all around uh, Australia, including like, as you said, the rural areas. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's all a bit of a blur now. I was thinking about it the other day. I couldn't really figure out where we have and haven't been because it all just sort of melts into one after a while. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know how that feels. I think after like five dates, it just mushes into one yeah, yeah. big blob of a memory. But um, you've got two more coming. Yep. Uh, Margaret River and Bunbury. Yep, that's it. Yeah. So I think by the time these go up, you might have already done them. So yeah. it's kind of weird kind of going, going how, back in time. Depends how quickly you want to work it out. Yeah. So. <laughs> How have the shows been? Good? Um, yeah, they've been really good, especially the cities. Some of the regional shows have been a bit slow, mm-hmm. um, but you come to expect that. You know, you sort of, they're not used to getting live entertainment in some of these. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. Mm. It's been really good. Yeah, if it's not like a cover band, they're kind of like, what? Yeah, yeah. what is this strange <laughs> thing? So how long have you been playing with um, Katie for? Um, I think it's been probably close to a year and a half, maybe two years now. Mm-hmm. But it's not very uh, intensive, you know, like she's had the album recorded and when it's time to play shows, you just go in and figure out the parts and then go. So it's not like a full-time immersive thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, I think uh, I've worked with you fucking ages ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Park Life was the, the, the memory that yeah. I had in my, How my long head. Ago you were, you were You were a little spring chicken at the I time. I know. Though. I think I was 19, maybe. Shit. That's like 2000 and... 11 or something, or maybe... If it was 2011, I was 21. Okay, right. So even fucking before that, 2009 then. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I feel old. I do remember I was wearing a pink shirt. Yeah. Like, that was really cool. But, man, even back then, you had some serious chops, man. Thanks, man. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing back then. I I think I remember that show being, like, 11 people on stage and everyone just sort of <laughs> winging it, you know? <laughs> I know, yeah. That, it that was, was the nature of the band, I suppose. Yeah, it was kind of kind of Slipknot-like. But then again, I think I saw that same act in, um, at, uh, in one of the Spiegel tents um, at Laneway. Yep. And uh, someone was wearing a chicken suit, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah, that was Rob. <laughs> he had this thing where he, he just felt like every show he had to wear a different suit. I think he wore <laughs> a, a Sully, you know, Monsters, Inc.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wore a Sully suit for another one of the shows. <laughs> Fuck, you're, you are one of those people that, it's going to sound really cheesy, but I can feel your energy when you're around. Ah, oh, thanks, man. And I know, I don't know whether that's a compliment or whether that's a bit woo-woo, but well, like... It depends what sort of energy you're feeling. You're feeling like... <laughs> a fuck, sexual energy? <laughs> yeah, no, no, sexual's no. fine, you know, I don't mind sexual energy. Like, even when I first met you when you were young, you, were, you, you just had this spark, like you were... You weren't like kind of into things. You're just really into things and yeah. really passionate about things. Some really wide eyed and over enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great, man. Like it's you're one of those people, and like um, I don't know. Like I, I want to get into. W- was there a point in your life where things were hard, and then you turned it around, or were you always kind of just a positive guy? Because I know a lot of people that are 
that do have that aura that that radiate that have been through things yeah yeah um, sure that's kind of a common thread so um i think like i had a pretty strange uh teenage years because i moved out of home really really young mm-hmm. so i was i was 14 when i moved away my parents lived in uh tom price and then caratha so for me there wasn't a whole lot going on and i was a swimmer and i really wanted to play drums all the time and it was just this dead end sort of mining town um so I had to deal a lot uh, with myself from an early age, you know, being out alone and um, not having too much to rely on. So I guess I sort of just learnt how to be with all sorts of different people and help my way out of circumstances. Mm-hmm. But I think travelling as well sort of gives you that skill of, you know, adapting to whoever's around and, mm-hmm. you know, also, I'm not a shithead, so I'd rather be nice to people. Then. <laughs> <laughs> That's always good. Yeah, yeah. But I think um, travel is such such a um, important aspect to just like personal growth in general. But also like the, that language, that communication barrier. Like you can, you. It's it's strange how music and anything creative or, or artistic. Uh, connects with people so is that something that you learned when you were traveling or like yeah around yeah, the place yeah. especially with the uh the hang the handpan the instrument that i mm. mainly play now um it's got this way of sort of communicating to people without having to speak their language or anything like that so it was really humbling for me to go to countries where i couldn't speak the language but still feel like i i got to know one someone or have a conversation with someone simply by playing music on the streets or mm. things like that and it you know, it's really confronting because you're playing this instrument and someone comes up to you and they're speaking Spanish and I know one Spanish line and it's saying, uh, estoy viajando por el mundo, gracias al dinero gano tocando música, which means uh, I'm traveling the world with the money I make playing music. Yeah. And they look at you and go, oh, you can speak Spanish. They start a conversation. You're like, no, nah, I don't understand anything. <laughs> That's about all I can do. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, you get this uh, this appreciation from people from a different perspective, you still feel like you're communicating with them, but so I know I've, I've probably talked to you about this before in our first podcast, like two or three years ago. It must be now. But um, what what are some of the places that you've hit up before? When I went travelling that time, the first big busking sort of trip I did, it was pretty much from Mexico down to the bottom of Argentina. So I went through about sixteen countries from mm. from between those two. So that was huge. And I just uh, I had a video several months ago that went absolutely crazy on the internet i think it's at about 19 millions on facebook wow which uh that video was shot at the very tail end of that trip when i was in new york city just a random passerby shot a video of me busking and uh that video in particular has just brought me to europe uk um india china malaysia us so all over really wow so what what do you think was uh, about the video that that was so captivating was it just the instrument itself or um, was all the variables just in the right spot at the right time and I don't, just kind of I don't took really off? know I guess at that stage it was it was very honest like I wasn't um I was just traveling you know I wasn't mm. playing the instrument for any sort of personal I didn't want to like get somewhere yeah um, there was I, no agenda yeah, yeah yeah exactly I was just sort of doing my thing um I think maybe that comes out in the video but to be honest I I don't really know um it sounds really amazing. Like I was in this uh, subway station that was just the angles of the walls and stuff was completely empty and it just had this amazing reverb. So it sounded really, really good. Um, mm. I was wearing this hat and I think I get equal amounts of emails about that video and the instrument I'm playing as I do about what the hat is. What the hat? 
I had money to get that hat. Where did you get that hat? How much did it cost? (laughs) So uh, I guess maybe the hat has something to do with it. (laughs) It's a lucky hat. It is. Yeah. So where where can people see that? That's on your Facebook page, right? Yeah, it's yep. it's floating around Facebook, but it, like any Facebook video that goes viral, it appears and goes crazy and then disappears. So mm. I don't really know where to find it on Facebook, but it is on YouTube now as well. Um, it's not on my YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. It's on a YouTube channel called Buskers, spelled B-U-S-K-R-S, mm-hmm. um, which was the guy that, that shot it. Right. Okay, so you've done a couple, like you've done the TED Med Yep. Talk. So did that come from also from that video? Did yeah, that kind of spark interest? Pretty much. Yeah. There were, it came in waves. Like that video went crazy um, probably midway through last year, but it, it's had a few waves of popping out there again, you know? Um, mm. And one of the organizers of TED uh, saw it and said, hey, we've got this really cool um, event happening. It's, it's a medicine based TED talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted me to touch upon. You know, there was a huge theme of how art affects uh, mental health. Mm. So I was there as basically a segue between two speakers, and it was a really amazing experience. I'm a huge, huge TED fan. Yeah, TED's great. I mean, um, if if you guys want to look it up, it's um, it's a TED Med talk, and it's called um, the Transcendent Power of Music. I think. Yeah, that's um, it. And it, the caption's pretty cool. Like it, it talks about you know music as a, a vehicle for healing. Yeah. Which I find really interesting. Um, not just in a maybe a mental health um, angle, but yeah. also maybe even a phys- it has physical because as we all know, your mental state will dictate also how your definitely. body feels and vice versa. Yeah. So um, I definitely I think when you hear the it's called a hang hang pan. Yeah. Well, it's uh, the original name for it is hung, which yep. is spelt hang. Yeah. Um, and there's been so many recreations of the instrument under so many different names that the generic name is just handpan. Handpan, okay. Yeah, the, the, yeah there's, there's kind of a lot of... It polarizes a few people. Like Some people want to keep calling it the traditional yeah, way, and some yeah. people say, no, you can't. Basically looks like a metal UFO yeah, with yeah. a hole, like rivets and holes in the side. But when you, when you strike it at certain points, it has an actual tonal quality to it. Yeah, definitely. So you can actually play notes, um, yeah, which so is they're, amazing. They're tuned to scales. And uh, I think one of the fascinating things about the instrument is that you look at it and you can't comprehend how such a smooth sound or, you know, it's, it's got a really resonant, almost like a harp-like sound. And people are so perplexed at how it could create that. I think harp is yeah the the a really good comparison. Yeah, um, it really does sound almost string, yeah, string like, and and it's not. It's like a piece of steel, really. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> and I guess the the TED Med tie in it really worked well. Unfortunately, I didn't really get to talk too much. Mm-hmm. I only had a seven minute slot, so I was more playing. But uh, the the frequency that it emits, it does have um, an effect over people, and there are people like studying certain frequency ranges and how it can affect our health. I know, it's it's really um, kind of, I wouldn't say sad, but it, it does kind of get lumped in. When you talk about healing through sound and stuff, it does it does kind of get lumped in with the whole aligning your chakras and, yeah, and yeah. stuff like that, which I'm age. really into, but people think there's no scientific um, yeah. quality to it. But Definitely. I really I think that's changing. And I yeah, think I it, think it is too. Maybe in the not, not even in the future, but slowly... There'll be this coming together of that holistic approach that hey maybe this, there's something to this like yeah. if you feel good then maybe mentally then exactly maybe that can affect your physical. You I know. think people ignore the mental side 
of health, like as you said before, it it has such a huge power. Like the way you think uh, and the way you feel inside your head has such a huge effect over your body. Mm. But just touching on that note, like in itself, the hang or the handpan, it it commonly gets pigeonholed as a new age instrument as well, um, which is pretty obvious as to why like it's a very hippie type feel mm-hmm. but that's that's something that i've been consciously trying to shake since that video went viral is mm. to how can i approach this and sort of make it a little bit different or stand out in a way that's not part of that crowd you know yeah part of dreadlocks and gem days yeah and, exactly. but not that there's anything wrong with that but it, it's no not it's, at all i mean it's a perfect it's it's a perfect instrument for for that really like it makes complete sense but I think there is so much you can do with that specific instrument um, mm. if you were experimenting with how to run it through electronics and ways to use it in different worlds, you know. So, uh, Do you think you could even, like, hook it up to a MIDI trigger? Yeah, well... I mean, that'll be interesting and then kind of have a, a, the raw natural sound, the acoustic sound. Yeah, and yeah. Have it affected with delay and reverb and all that stuff. That'd yeah, well, one of, my, uh, one of my favourite players in the world, he plays drums for Bjork as well, uh, Manu Delago, his name is. He... Um, basically has your normal overhead set up when he's recording it, but he's also got little contact mics attached to the side of it, mm. and he runs those contact mics through a effects pedal. So he's getting the, the natural resonance of the instrument, but he's also playing with some of the sounds, mm. um, and that's sort of I'm starting to dive into that what as well. Which yeah. has been- Just to touch on um, Manu Delago, his name is, right? Yeah. So he, yep. he's, he's from London. He also has a, a, a hangpan. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that what he plays in Bjork or is he just a... Yeah, a, so the, this, the way that he hooked up with Bjork is he a similar thing. Like He had a video that went viral of him playing that instrument and then he she got in contact and said, I really love this thing. Can you write me a song on it? Mm. Um, the song that they wrote is called Virus. It's on a previous album. Mm-hmm. And uh, after they collaborated... I think I'm not sure what happened, but she found out that he's also an amazing drummer. So he, the main thing he does with her is most of her drum work, um, lots of electronic triggering and stuff. But they do have her most recent shows. He's playing that instrument with her as well. Mm. So you, you actually collab- you actually flew to London to collaborate yeah. with him in the London Eye for yep. for um, La Blogatech, which yeah. is one of my favorite fucking YouTube channels. Yeah, is La Blogatech, man. What they do is they um. They kind of get artists to um, play in, in certain environments that kind of enhance the performance, like really uh, on on street performances or in museums and stuff like that, in yeah. s- staircases or whatever. But kind of using the natural environment to be the stage, which is fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think it's amazing things as it happens. Mm. So, um, h- how did that come about? Like um, flying to London to play in the London Eye? Man, that was uh, I. I honestly don't – I still can't believe that it actually happened um, <laughs> because literally all I did was just ask. Mm. So I had um, – when that video went viral, the New York one, I had all of these thousands of emails of people just wanting to do little projects with me and I had one waiting there from the London Eyes management saying, oh, it would be really cool if you came to the London Eye and filmed a video. And I said, oh, that would be amazing to do. So I, I kept it in the side of my head, you know, and I thought I'll, I'll visit that later. I actually got the opportunity to fly to London for free cause, to do a recording session with a producer over there. Um, so I said, all right, let's do it. And then I started thinking like, oh, how could I make this special? Like, who would I want to film it? Uh, who would I want to film it with? And I just said, I, I thought of Manu and I was like, he probably would say no, but I was, you're better off asking anyway. So I asked him and he said yes, to my surprise. 
And then I was like, you know what? I've got the guy that plays drums for Bjork. Maybe I'll just ask the blogger tech if they'd be keen. And I just sent one of the producers an email and he said yes as well. So it was literally just a matter Oof. of matter of asking. Mm. Um, Isn't that amazing that all you yeah. have to do sometimes is reach out? And I know. Then the, that it's just so... It's so easy, yeah. like, but obviously, like, not everyone's going to say yes, but the power of simply reaching out and asking Definitely. is so crazy. Like, um, even with, for me, this podcast, like, I'll ask 20 people and 10 people will be interested, but three would show up. Yeah, but yeah. it's still amazing to me that all you have to do is ask, and you never know who, exactly. who are that, who's probably waiting, um, hoping for something to yeah, yeah. Come their way, um, and, and you're that person. But you know, if you don't ask, you just never fucking know. Yeah, it's a real powerful thing. And I'm not one of those people that feels comfortable asking things of people as mm. well. So it was. I knew it was far fetched to to put it out there, but I can't. Yeah, I still can't believe it happened. But the reason I decided to do it was because um, to tie it back into a TED talk. I watched a TED talk by this guy called Nardwa. I don't know if you've ever heard. I of love Nardwa. Yeah. yeah. So he. Um, he so he's, he's a, just for people that, know, that don't know Nardwa, he's a Canadian interviewer, yep. um, but his level of research is insane. Yeah. Like he actually knows crazy, insane. crazy like, like in-depth information about people's childhood. And yeah, like, yeah. Like pe- people are visibly in, like shaken when, when during the interviews, like how did you find that out about me? Like, yeah, he gets into the, the people he's interviewing, gets into their heads so much that they look at him and go, how the hell did you know that? But he does it in a way where it looks like he's taking the piss out of you the whole time. So mm. he never gets taken seriously until he drops a bomb of maybe, yeah. I don't know, I know we used to eat, you know, yeah, lunch yeah. when you were a child. Or- and also with the gifts that he gives, like yeah, sometimes totally. he'll, he'll dig up some stuff from old vinyls, like of, of like some of the artists' grandparents and stuff yeah. like that. It's like re- really crazy. But you're right, like um, he, he toes that line of, is this guy for real? Because yeah. he wears some bizarre shit. Like, he wears, yeah. like, a, a checkered golf, like, blazer and, like, a, yeah. uh, a, a top And it's hat. his mannerisms as mm. well, you know. He's, he's real over the top. And I think for people that don't know him and go into an interview with him, they're like, why am I doing this interview? Yeah. And then by the end of it, they're amazed mm. and they probably pass his name on to all of, all of yeah, the crew. Yeah, yeah. So he, he did a TED a Yeah, TED talk. so he, he did a TED talk and it was... I, th- I can't remember exactly what it's called, but I think it's called The Power of Asking. Mm. And he basically talks about how he's managed to be this absolute joke of a interviewer to, you know, interviewing some of the biggest names in music. Um, and that's literally how it happened. Like, he's, he just asks, asks people. Mm. And then once he's got them, he, he does his research and finds out all about them, you know. But it really inspired me, just the power of asking um, when it came to getting the blogger tech and Manu together, and mm. it happened, and it's ap- an absolute dream come true. I, I believe it. That's crazy. So, how long were you in London for? Just did you film and just book out of there? Uh, no, I was there for about two weeks. Um, partly, I was there because I wanted to just be in London and mm-hmm. see what the city was like. But I was also doing a recording session with a producer called Sagala, who's um, a house DJ over in London. He's pretty well known. Um, he really liked that New York video as well, so I thought oh, I might as well go over there and spend some time. And then, you know, I had three days of one day of rehearsals with Manu and then went to the video for another day. The rest I, I just spent exploring around and going to shows. Yeah. Um, how long have you – was that your first time in London or – Yeah. yeah oh, wow. Was. I thought for a guy that was so well-traveled you would have been there. No, nah, I, I sort of steer away from 
places that I don't feel like are going to change very much. You know, I I would rather do all the countries that are, I will feel uncomfortable in while I'm still energized enough to do that. Mm. Uh, places like Europe and England and you know uh, the US, I feel like you can visit them in any sort of level. You can do the backpacking thing or you can do the luxury thing. There's certain countries like Bolivia that there's no real option other than roughing it. Mm. So I would like to get those out of the way first. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. I think um, it brings something out of you. Like y- your perspective is different when you can't yeah. stay in a flashy hotel and eat McDonald's. Like yeah, you totally. have to actually assimilate a bit into the culture, yeah. which um, is yeah, really cul- healthy to do. The like, cultures of the UK and stuff, it, it's not so different to where I am. Mm. And I think like the main the main purpose of going traveling is to change yourself or to learn something or to be immersed in something else yeah i think um comfort you you really don't learn anything from comfort i think um so it's it's when you're outside of that comfort you kind of learn a lot about yourself i think how resilient you are what makes you tick and yeah maybe some of your weaknesses like uh things that some flaws in your in probably your character that you never knew were there totally until you're kind of pushed up against the wall and in a place and kind of feeling helpless, that's where... So you got to go to the rock bottom to find that stuff <laughs> out. <laughs> you have to hit the bottom, man. Yeah. But in saying that, I had an awesome time over there. I went to Switzerland as well, like first time in Europe. Uh, sorry, yeah, in Europe. It is in Europe. Um, and it was just, it was amazing. I was so excited and I, I'm definitely keen to go back there. Recorded at the Hen House Rehearsal Studios. It's the Mission Control Podcast. Well, the hangpan was created in Switzerland, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So um, I didn't meet the inventors of the actual instrument because they're a bit estranged from the community that surrounds it. But one of the guys that took their idea and really made it his own, um, his name's Izan. He's also from Switzerland and he makes beautiful handpans. Um, so I went to his workshop and got to play a bunch of his instruments and met some of the people that work there, mm. uh, which is really cool for me. It was like being a kid in a toy store because <laughs> <laughs> they yeah it's it's not a mass-produced instrument is it it's, no it's they're, com- they're kind of made to, yeah. are they made to order like i don't even know how you would yeah i mean buy one of these most things. most of the makers have huge waiting lists especially mm. the ones that are the quality you know um so i waited about three years for Izan to make me <sighs> wow. one and it's basically yeah completely handmade uh nitrided and hammered a certain way so it, they're completely unique at the moment, there's no one that's doing a big factory line of them, but mine or the symbol company have just signed up someone to make handpans for them. So okay. I, I do don't think, think they're too far away. Do you think that's – how do you feel about the um, uh, it getting kind of mass produced? I think it's it's going to happen eventually. Yep. You know? it's um, The instrument has such a effect on so many people that it's – it's bound to get popular eventually. Mm. Um, as far as like the mass production of it, I don't think it's great um, if they're going to be pumping out you know crappy instruments and mm. exploiting them for so much money. Well, yeah, if, if the quality is compromised, yeah. because there's something romantic about the idea that some guy has made it for yeah, you, yeah, definitely uh, with, with his hand, you know, yeah, like, um, yeah. Uh, so it's it's. I mean, it's bound to happen. I think that's the reason why I'm I'm. Ca- keen to pursue it and do as much as I can with it right now. So, you know, I'm in like the first bunch of players really um, getting known from playing the instrument. So imagine being one of the first people to play something like the violin, you know. I want to be one of the creators of, you know, one of the biggest influences of people that down the track hundreds of years they look back at the the first players 
mm-hmm. I'd love to be associated with that. Yeah, part of history, pretty much. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> Pioneering. The- it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting to see if it shakes the stigma of being a hippie instrument. Mm. And um, I think that that's my goal is to steer it away from, from that world and, and seeing how far you can push it as an instrument. Yeah, I think as we were talking about before, it would be really interesting to see um, a kind of a integration into electronic elements. Yeah, totally. Uh, or even just sampling it in a recording and, tr- and triggering it on a SPD pad or something like yeah. that would be really cool. Uh, there are definitely people uh, starting to play with that. I mean, Manu was the first to really, uh, I mean, he plays for Bjork, so of course. Mm. Um, but there are plenty of guys now and girls around the world that are that are starting to do that, and I think it's pretty exciting. Mm. Have you thought about doing like an album? Yeah. Of, of maybe some of your, because uh, by now you would, do you have like a, actual songs like a set list yeah that you I've, play, got, or? I've got songs i've got well i have to now because I've, I've played a few festivals you know and it's mm. it's a bit weird to sit there on a stage and you've got 30 or 40 minutes and they're like all right play your set so i've sort of had to sit down and steer away from the improvisational busking side of things and really make a song so i do i've got about 40 minutes worth of live material and within that i can hear counter melodies and whatnot so i'm setting up a little studio at the moment and i don't know what direction it's going to take me in but i'm definitely feeling electronics and i'm definitely feeling strings <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and tibetan bowls yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um in in that ted med talk you you were you were you had two handpans yeah i've actually so. got three now okay. so i'm aiming to have a chromatic set so that you can harmonize and, yeah, and so play I, chords. You basically, know? I could just have access to every note. Um, and that's when you can really start playing music with it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so you can have like bass notes and then like a riff over the top. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah and I'd love to experiment with maybe like just having one um, that's, that's attached in some way to, I don't know, effects pedals to drop uh, an octave on the notes to create bass yep. tones that way. Cool. And really sort of, I've been listening to a lot of like minimalism, um, like composition stuff and a lot of like trancey electronic music, not trance music, but some really boundary pushing electronic music. Mm. Um, if there's a way to fuse the two, I think I want to be the one to find it. So Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. That's definitely... Um, you know, and that comes from playing in bands. Uh, especially playing in bands that uses a lot of triggering. Um, yep. You sort of get used to playing in clubs and I'm constantly thinking about how to how to marry the two because I'd love to, you know, play theatres and club shows, mm. you know, and have that balance between them. Yeah. Um, you were talking about the effects pedals, maybe even a loop yeah. pedal would be cool. So yeah, you yeah. have a, a looping melody and play over it. Definitely. You know? I've... I've played with the looping stuff before. The the trouble I have with looping pedal is I think you're limited into how you can uh, rise and f- you can only really rise. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like I know there's so much more you can do with it, but um, at the moment I feel like that repetition, uh, it's it sort of stunts what you can do with a song. Yeah, dynamically you mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's only kind of a bit monotonous once you're in. Once the loop's playing, it's kind of playing. Yeah, and yeah. That's about you're it. like, okay, that's the song. And I'll turn it off now, you know? So it's definitely, I know, I'm just, I'm not experienced enough in that world yet to um, use it the way that someone like, I don't know, Dee Dee Dumbo, Bing Station, because he's a freak. Anyone yeah. out there doesn't know him, check it out. Yeah. <laughs> he played his first show in Melbourne. 
Yeah. And it sold the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. man. He's, um, I, I actually went and saw him a couple of weeks ago um, in his hometown of Castlemaine. He decided to put on a show there. I think it sold out two nights with 900 people <sighs> each show. And it was Jeez. just freaky. Mm. Like, absolutely freaky. Yeah. He's an amazing man. Yeah. Do, do you still um, have plans to, to drum in other yeah. acts? Or, like, are, are you kind of... Definitely. Because he, I see you as, a very, uh, as very much a... I wouldn't say a session guy, but you know, yeah. I, I feel like I feel very much the same that we're kind of just kind of doing our craft and we kind of fall into acts yeah, as they yeah. come, as, as they drop on our lap. Yeah. But um, yeah. do you have any plans to, to play in, in other acts? Yeah, or man. Um, I mean, like, wing it? I would rather my main thing still for me, even though I've taken off in this handpan world, is uh, is being a drummer. Yeah. Like that's cool. that's all I really want to do. And yeah, it's true. Like I'm falling into more of a session guy, mm. which I I like. But um, I wouldn't. I would prefer. I'm, I've always been a band person, you know. Uh, I think I want to take what I know as far as the drumming goes and create my own show. I think I'm steering more into relying more on myself than having other people around me. Mm. Uh, but yeah, if there's anyone out there that needs a drummer, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Hit up Sam. Uh. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a few uh, projects. Uh, on the horizon that that I can't really talk about. That's just yet. cool. But, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, I, I totally identify with what you mean. Um, and I've I've always not that it's been a problem or a hindrance, but I've always been at the whim of where the band goes. I've always seen myself not not just in a drumming sense, but even my personality. I've always even with this podcast, I've always seen myself as a facilitator. Yeah, like I don't like to be the guy with his photo up. On yeah. the front, on the front page, but yeah. I like to be the guy helping yeah, behind the scenes. You don't even have to put my name in the credits or anything. I don't care about that, but yeah. I like being involved and I like being a support person. Yeah, definitely. Um, me too, man. I love it. It's it's really foreign to me to have a name for yourself. You know, going out there and pushing yeah. yourself. Yeah, um, being in the in the sidelines and doing your job as far as like making a show a show as a drummer is amazing. And mm. I, I I honestly just love playing shows. Just, Same man, yeah. I'm not a studio I'm not a studio dweller, you know. I'd rather be on stage and playing to people. So uh Well nothing nothing in the world beats that that, yeah. that connection yeah, exactly. when you play on stage and that um that thrill of um performance. I think if yeah. that wasn't there I think I, I wouldn't really be into uh drums as much as I am but uh, yeah me too I think the studio it's great because it exposes some of uh, maybe some things that need tightening up and your yeah. technique and stuff but for the most part I think the studio is like I can't wait to get out of the studio sometimes yeah it could be think. a real like monotonous process you know yeah. like real real draining I mean I, I love being in the studio as well but I think I'm much more, if I was if I was to call myself a session drummer and there's two different types. There's a live session and then there's a recording session. I would definitely be a, a live, live, yeah, live guy. Same here. I, I, I want to be the guy on tour. Yeah. Like, I don't give a fuck if, like, all the drums are written and, then, <laughs> and someone's like, hey, play that. Yeah. I'll be like, cool. Exactly. I mean, I'll, I'll put Actually, my you know, that's sort, it, of, but... that's sort of ideal when it's like that. You're like, totally. all right, yeah. this is what I have to do. You've got, like, a blueprint. Exactly. And you then you work around it. You, you add your own spices to it. You yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's exciting to not have anything like taking all of my time up at the moment, you know, and I, I quit my job. Uh, I was working full time or have always worked full time in the medical industry, which is completely opposite to what people know about. 
Um, and but now, still, uh, part of your your character is a support. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. I, yeah, exactly. So, so it's it's exciting to say now that you know I'm pursuing music full time, and I think with that you have to do these more session type jobs. Mm. Um, well, you kind of I think when you when you really don't have a plan B, it brings something out of you. Yeah. When you have a plan B and a plan C and a plan D, then uh, the incentive uh, to go all out, yeah, yeah, it kind of diminishes because you know, oh, well, I've kind of got this. Yeah, you know. it's about immersion. You gotta, yeah. That's the same thing as traveling, you know. you got to immerse yourself in a new place and that's, that's mm. how you get by. You always figure it out and that's what I like about it. Yeah, you always land on your feet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, wow, so you, you quit your job to, yeah, that's interesting. That's really cool. I quit my job when that video went viral. I mm. had all these things on the table, you know, and uh, I decided that it was the only option. And, you know, now I've done a TED Talk and I've collaborated with literally one of my heroes. So it was, it was all worth it. Mm. Um, and it's forced me to think about how I could survive being a musician, which I think is, in this day and age, it's really hard. It's a really it's hard, fucking hard. Yeah. yeah, it's a really hard thing to yeah. do. Um, so I'm up for the challenge. It's going to be nice. And I think in this day and age, um, it's it's pretty normal now to see uh, multi hyphenated profit, like people that are more than one thing. You yeah. kind of have to be definitely if you're creative. You can't just be one thing. Now. Yeah, exactly. You have to be your own. You know, running a business on the side, yeah. working part time, doing a bit of this, doing yeah. a bit of that. Um, it, gone are the days where you are a doctor, you well, are yeah. an engineer, and then you get the white picket fence, you settle down with some kids, and yeah. that's fucking it. You yeah. know, you pay your tax, and then you die. But like, not, <laughs> wow, not to be very grim. Happy, happy no, picture there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, like I think generationally, like I, this this topic always get gets brought up on the podcast because I talk to a lot of creative people. But yeah. um, gone are the days where you just one thing. Yeah, like, people are kind of floating around looking for that. Yeah, and I always wonder how much uh, technology has to do with that, you know, like mm. this hyper-connectivity between people. And I think our generation is, you know, uh, definitely wants to promote themselves and is not uh, not as concerned about security and comfort as the previous generations. Because mm. uh, we, we kind of have everything yeah. at, our, at our fingertips at the moment. That's it, yeah. I saw this really interesting interview saying that we've, we're raised on being able to get whatever we want, you know, everything's a click of a button away. It's created this weird culture where, you know, like social media, we're taking selfies of ourselves and, and hunting those likes, you know, like we rely on these these clicks of buttons and it's mm. a really it's a really sort of scary thought actually. Like, it is, yeah. It's it's definitely changed. Technology has definitely changed a lot of things. Mm. But it's as as bringing it back to being a musician, it's kind of we have to rely on that stuff now. You know, you have to put yourself out there and be savvy with the socials. Well, yeah, you can't not be a you can't not integrate into technology. Yeah. It's just impossible. Yeah, and I it's, think it's yeah. weird. Like for me in particular, I can get really caught up in that world, and I I, I snap out of it and go. Dude, just sit down and write music. Like that's what people want to hear, you know. Yeah, it's it's this funny like tug of war. Yeah, it's very easy to forget. You yeah. just get just these are all just um they can be just distractions. Yeah, from from the actual you, you actually forget you get caught up in the the whole marketing and the whole what image are you trying to project and all that sh- bullshit when it, which is why <laughs> being a, in the background as a drummer is absolutely amazing. I know. <laughs> I fucking I fucking love it. Um, but I love the. 
it's it's very humbling as well being in the back, mm-hmm. I think, because you're forced to just simply play your role, hold it together. I mean, like, we're basically, we're essentially the glue yeah. that holds everything. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're the structure that everyone dances around, you know? I like, yeah, I like so, to feel that we're the ones making people's head bop up and down. <laughs> so every time you hit that bass drum. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I've never really been fascinated. It's just so crazy. I've never really been fascinated with, with being at the forefront, but um, it really is the a generation of the self, like the ego yeah, is now definitely. like multiplying tenfold with these things like social network. Like you, you get people on Instagram that they have thousands of followers simply because they're good looking. Yeah. Like that is it. Yeah, totally. They, they don't offer it. Like I'm not even saying that there's anything inherently bad with that, but it's fucking interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's like there are just thousands of guys and girls that are simply, they have a, a whole legion of followers yeah. simply because of their body or their looks and yeah, that's and all they're think, putting up like what's uh, what does that do to someone's mentality you know, like, exactly like I, the, one of my favorite instagram pages that i've ever seen was a, a father whose daughter is insta famous for just putting up like sort of half skimpy photos of herself and he he creates one he copies every single photo that she does <laughs> Uh, yeah. And he's like this really overweight man and he just does the same poses, wears the same clothes and does the same looks and then posts it up. And I think he's got about six times more than she does. Yeah. Like he's uh, he's close to his millions now. Oh, that's awesome. And I think that's the, the greatest example of like the generation gap, like how they must view our generation and our, you know, our egos and our yeah. self-love and uh, just turn it on its head. Yeah, uh, it's so yeah, so easy to get caught up in in that world. Um, but once again, that's that's also another topic that gets brought up a lot is um, the whole generation of the, the self, yeah, the selfie, and the what that might be doing to, I mean, psychologically, like that's creating a new type of narcissist where yeah, totally, they're they're not only just affecting people in their immediate circle like it used to be, but now thousands of people. Mm. They can put out one photo that reaches millions of people. That's yeah, definitely. fucking crazy. They can say whatever they want. Yeah, they, yeah. They have more likes than some politicians. They have more sway, more influence. Yeah, it's crazy. Than people in power, in actual power, which is fucking bizarre. The very thing of going viral, now that I've been on that side of it, is mm. really, it's really bizarre. Like, Were you trending at one point? Um, on th- I don't really know. Uh, I, all I know is that... The video sat dormant for about seven months, and then one day it went to two million overnight, Jesus. and then it yeah it just climbed from there and sort of plateaued at about eleven million. And I think over the last five months or so, it's climbed to nineteen or twenty. So you had to turn your phone off just to deal with it. Yeah. So you can imagine like uh, what a like a famous person. Yeah. What they must go through. What their yeah their psychological. Uh, what that does to you when that is your life every fucking day. It's really stressful, man. It's, uh, I mean, it, yeah, it sounds really silly to say that. It's really mm. stressful. But um, it's then when it all calmed down a few weeks later, I went back on and said, all right, I'm going to have to sit here and go through every single message that I've received because yeah. out of those messages, there was one that's like, hey, come to London and do this. There, there's some diamonds in there. Yeah, in there, exactly. So. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work and no wonder people that have these huge statuses have to employ people to just sit on Facebook all day. Yeah, yeah. Just, it's a legitimate yeah. job these days. <laughs> But uh, you can imagine going viral for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Can you imagine what the fuck that would do to you? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I have thought about that, especially, you know, Trump. 
although he has no reason to feel good about himself at all without getting too political. <laughs> Just imagine the amount of hate you have 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd need bodyguards. Well, he does, obviously. Yeah. But um, even just, fuck, some celebrities like uh, that... Um, what was that that thing that went viral as well? Well, not went viral, but the whole pile of celebrities' phones were hacked and yeah, and just nude photos were everywhere. Like, yeah, what does that do to you? Well, that's the thing. You like, know? there's it's so easy to have a paper trail nowadays, and everyone fucks up eventually or says the wrong thing eventually. I mean, I feel really bad for genuinely good people that are celebrities that might have like had a bad temper one day and said one thing and it gets blown out of proportion because mm. of our hyperconnectivity. And they get crucified yeah, for it. Yeah, and it's just it's forever in your history, you know, like that paper trail will never go away. Mm. Um, I mean, that's just the day. That's just the day <laughs> that we live in. <laughs> scary times. I know. I know, it is scary. I've, I've even had that, like, I think it's been a year since I've, recorded the podcast but that that goes through my mind all the time yeah, yeah. and it shouldn't like just saying something really fucking dumb yeah which i do all the time on a daily <laughs> basis but um that that someone can and not i'm not even implying that you know thousands of people listen to this but uh the idea that um you can take anything out of context and, and yeah. kind of have a little soundbite of something crazy that some someone said. Yeah, definitely. And then say, "Well, that's now representative of your character." That's thanks for making me paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna shut my mouth now. <laughs> uh, so, what's next other than the the Katie Katie Steele? The two more dates. Yeah, we've got um, two more dates finishing at the end of this week, uh, which is it's exciting because I think like after a month long of touring. You, you deserve that little break. And I know two weeks down the road, I'm going to be like, I miss you guys. Yeah. Um, so that's that's wrapping up, which is cool. And then uh, Katie's jumping back in the studio. Um, back I, in the studio? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she's going to New Zealand to her brother's place, um, Luke Steele, who's, mm-hmm. you, know, you would know him from Empire of the Sun. He's got this amazing house in New Zealand with a basement level recording studio. So that's cool. She's heading over there to... Drop some new songs. Nice. Um, but the the album that came out was the debut, her debut album. Yeah. Yep. So she's already back in the studio. Wow. Yeah. Well, she actually, when she was in New York, she actually recorded uh, a little EP and um, she's got five bangers absolutely ready and rearing to go. But at the time there was a few emotional attachments. So she decided to come home and create Human, which is the album she just released. So uh, yeah, I think she's she's just really excited and feeling very passionate about it at the moment. So that's cool. Um, For me, I'm going to be playing this amazing cultural festival in Jamaica in May, which should be really cool. Um, And then I've just signed the lease to this new place where, as I said, I'm going to start working on some solo stuff. Nice. Um, And I'm sure I'll be dabbling in some drums with people around Perth as well. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's exciting. What what is this uh, Jamaica? This uh, festival in Jamaica? What's that called? Yeah, it's called uh, Tomorrow Today. It's um, it's a six day event, I think it is, and it's basically it's a cultural festival. So it's celebrating. Um, obviously, reggae is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of ska music. It's it's mainly music based. There's all these different areas, but there's also a culinary side. So you can go and um, you know. Uh, look into how like Jamaican food culture and there's also a huge part of it is um, a, a study that's going on with marijuana mm-hmm. and how a thriving um, marijuana tourism business can affect the country 
um, as far as like bringing tourists into it. So mm-hmm. it's it's the first study of many, I think, and it's backed by the US as well. That's really interesting. Well, I think your hand pan will go down amazing anyway. Yeah, uh, totally. Regardless in Jamaica, because it, it's very Caribbean. It yeah. kind of has a Caribbean sound anyway. Yeah, totally. I think they'll like it. I, there is a little bit of uh, conflict between people that play the steel pan and mm-hmm. the hand pan. And the hand pan, yeah. Because steel pans traditionally, it's like a protest instrument. The hand pan is just in the hands of white Europeans. And yep, okay. you, know, you don't really need to have musical knowledge to play it. It sounds good regardless. But uh, I really think that uh, I've had such a positive response from everyone involved in this festival, so I'm super excited. Mm. But that, yeah, that's interesting. That uh, so that that whole um, marijuana study is that like linked to that festival as well? Is yeah, that yeah. Part of that? So it's um, the tourist board accepted it because they they really want to see that if instead of like having such negative connotations on it being illicit, if we just accepted the fact that. You know, it, it's a huge part of Jamaican culture mm-hmm. and created- Spiritually and, and yeah, religiously exactly. Well. Like the Rastafarians, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's ingrained in their culture. Mm. Um, if you just had uh, a positive tourism aspect to it, how much can it actually generate for a country? And I think people in the US are seeing the effects of that with, you know, having passed the laws in certain, mm. certain states to use it medicinally. Mm-hmm. They're realizing like, wow, it's, um, it's actually generating a lot of income for the country. But not only that, it's, it's such hemp itself is such a good material. You can make biofuels out of it. There is just so many avenues that you can go down with mm-hmm. weed. Um, and I think that awareness is raising at the moment, you know? Yeah, and it's fucking... Like it- it's something like a hundred years of propaganda against cannabis that yeah. we have to basically reverse engineer and get the fuck like yeah. out of our system because it all started like because um, it rivaled the cotton industry. Yeah, like, that, that's, yeah that's, I've heard that. It, it's a well, first of all, marijuana. Uh, the the name in, in itself is it should be called cannabis because yeah. marijuana was a a, a slang name. Uh, used to make it sound ethnic. Oh, really? So I didn't back, know that. back in the day, if if they gave it more of a um uh, a ethnic feel, it was more likely to deter people because wow, the, isn't the, that twisted. It's so twisted because back then they actually claimed that some of the propaganda that they were running, like they they were claiming that marijuana would make ethnic people rape white women and mm. and do all this crazy so it was very racially charged um, yeah, yeah. because that was the best way to get people to look to, to demonize basically yeah. what was a, a plant a medicinal plant yeah so like uh, i did hear about the uh i did know about the cotton industry thing mm. like if because you look- as you said hemp is way more uh, efficient than cotton. Yeah, it's and it, easier it to grows grow. so quickly and mm. so easily in, in a lot of different temperature zones as well. Um, and it is really just such a good material. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, I, I have hemp socks and I swear like hemp and bamboo are the best things to make socks mm. out of because I don't know what happens, but they're strong and they don't smell ever. Mm. <laughs> I bought a pair of cotton socks and like they have holes in them already. Yeah, yeah. Literally two weeks, two, yeah. three weeks of wearing these socks and they have fucking holes in them. It's like, just a prime example of how big business can get in the way of just being re- a realist, you know, and making something illicit that really does less harm than alcohol mm-hmm. even. I mean, and there's there's that whole thing about the prohibition area, you know, that like alcohol was illegal at some stage as was, well. Yeah. And I think it's it's just a you ha- people have to have a change of mentality about it. And that's why I think this festival is really amazing is because it's not really going out there and be like, yeah, we're all going to get stoned. You know, it's mm. it's very pro um, 
cannabis because of the multi-uses you can have. And I'm sure it's going to fit in with the, the culinary side of things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really excited to check that mm. out too. The idea that even hemp, growing hemp is outlawed mm. is fucking crazy. Yeah, it makes no sense. Because it's, it's simply outlawed because it's like a cousin of the marijuana plant. Yeah. Like that's the only reason. Exactly. There's no psychoactive properties to hemp. Yeah. And yet it's illegal. Yeah. Um, you know, you can get hemp protein, hemp oil, you can make hemp bags. It's one of the sturdiest materials out there. Yeah. But because of this hundred year propaganda, it still remains outlawed. It's purely profit based and nothing yeah. to do with health. They, it's nothing to do with your well being. Yeah, it's crazy. It's purely, you know, um, an economical decision to, to outlaw it. Like, um, it's fucking crazy. But I don't have too many facts either, but the biofuel thing mm. is really interesting because, you know, obviously we're, we're in a crisis in the whole world at the moment with resources. To be able to have a fuel from something that is a plant that grows very easily, it's a no-brainer. So obviously there's a lot more aspects involved to stopping it. Yeah, definitely. And for, for like you said, the, um, the, the states in the US that have uh, – decriminalized it um, and uh, they're using it now for medicinal purposes yeah. some states now have gone fully legal like California yeah right um, I think Colorado as well and uh, a lot of states to follow I think more than half of the US it's it's decriminalized yeah um, and no the world hasn't exploded yeah like, exactly people, all the naysayers are like dude there's gonna be people crashing cars yeah and, yeah dude there's been a decrease in accidents yeah and, right. that, and that's like if when you have that option to not drink yeah. and not be fucking vilified for it. Like, people will choose that. And yeah. I don't think... I've always looked at, at cannabis as a uh, destroyer of ego mm-hmm. and alcohol as an inflator of the ego because yeah, yeah. how many people do you know, like, shouldn't drink? Yeah. And yet they do drink and no one questions it. Exactly. Nobody nobody bats an eye. Like, it's like I'd wonder if you'd go out to Northbridge in Perth one night and it just replaced everyone that was completely drunk as being completely stoned. Mm. I reckon everyone would be too lazy to like fight each other. Just like, <laughs> All right, let's just go lay down somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It's not even laziness. It, it's, it become, you become so self-aware and paranoid that you don't want to cause any trouble. Yeah. It's like you become it, you become hyper aware of your effect on other people, yeah. and I really think it's a an empathetic uh, plant. Yeah, it, it, it really can it be. really enhances this almost feminine, caring, motherly nature in everyone. That's why that the whole idea of a hippie being like, "Hey, man, peace and love." It's because it brings that unconditional love out of people. Yeah. Um, and I find that it's just bizarre, man. You can say that, man. I was I'm I'm hungover as fuck and. People will high five you in the workplace for being hungover. Yeah, it's, like, it's like a man. glorified, especially <laughs> with uh, university culture and stuff as well. It's like yeah, getting as culture, wasted yeah. as possible is mm. so glorified these days. And, you know, like it's ingrained in our culture as well as Australians, you know, like, mm. yeah, alcohol culture. Is, yeah, exactly. Mm. And it really is like such a huge leading cause to so many accidents and. Mm. I mean, I, th- I think people's mentality have to change about a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that Tomorrow Today Festival is going to be really good in that aspect. Mm. I'm very interested in it. I'm, I mean, I'm not a huge uh, smoker either. I haven't smoked weed in a long time. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's going to be awesome just to see what they've got to present and how it actually, once the statistics start coming out, how it does actually affect... Economically, how yeah, it boosts. Yeah, economically, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, Jamaica's yeah. a country that... that will need to rely on tourism. Well, man, you have fucking... Everyone 
harps on about wine tours and shit. Yeah, yeah. Why can't you have a weed tour? Exactly. I mean, like, that. it's it's there's nothing there's nothing more strange about a weed tour than a wine tour. Exactly. Yeah. We, we just have been exposed to fucking In alcohol. Fact, drinking water. wine's kind of weird because it's it's from like it's off fruit. You know, mm. you're like you're drinking a, a bowl of rotted fruit. <laughs> yeah. So like when you think about that, you're like, wow, that's kind of strange. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is, man. It's like been fermenting yeah, for yeah. decades. Historically, people stomping on it with their dirty feet, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, the reason they called it spirits was because in the olden days, they thought it brought out, like the person was possessed. Oh, really? Because they there weren't themselves. And that's true. Like you see a lot of people, I've yeah. seen people, man, when they drink, Something clicks in them, and they become a different fucking yeah, person. Yeah, there's a few different kind of drunks out there, and yeah, I definitely know there's the, the happy drunk, yeah, and then then the, the, the loud drunk, yeah, and then, definitely. But then there's that brooding, like I want to fight someone drunk, and yeah. like I know a few people like that, yeah, and it goes unaddressed. They're like, oh, that's just Bill, dude. Like he's fucking like that all the time when yeah, he's totally. pissed, day. And, like, nobody addresses it. But yeah. if you're in the corner smoking weed, reading a book, they're like, fucking hippie. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's and it's, it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous that people glorify the angry drunk at times, you know. Mm. You see it. If you go out to a nightclub, you'll see it. Like, some guy smash and he pushes another dude around and all yeah. of his friends are like, oh, yeah, cool, man, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, um, or he's he's like that man. He he has a few, and he's he, yeah, he just fucking yeah. goes off. Eh? Like yeah, I think it it definitely um it brings out some really bad aspects mm. to a lot of people, especially when people go out when they have a head full of issues or yeah. like they they're not happy or they're fundamentally unhappy with their lives yeah. or frustrated or they're carrying trauma around. Yeah, and then they drink. It just activates that. It, totally, it, man. It actually um. It's I don't a very know what inflammatory. It, I don't know what it says about my personality. When mm. I get really drunk, I get very, very sleepy, yeah. or very cheeky. Either, <laughs> either one. Playfully, playfully cheeky or sleepy. There's no barrier in between. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what do I? I just I get really hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I think more hungry than when I'm high. Oh man, that's a, that's a rarity right there. Yeah, I I just want to eat chips and fried chicken and stuff. <laughs> man. I, there's something about drinking, but. I think it's also an, an Asian thing. I don't think a lot of Asians have a, um, an allergic reaction to alcohol because really, um, I, I think uh, a lot of Eastern people in general, or I think Asians, they lack the enzyme to break down alcohol in their stomachs. Yeah, right. So I think um, for a lot of Asians, rice-based alcohol is okay. You know, things like sake, sake yeah. um, asahi, I think certain beers that have a yeah. bit of rice um, in them. But if I go full wheat, like an IPA or something... I get the runs straight off the bat. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, uh, it just doesn't sit well. I feel, like, hot, like, yeah, right. flushed. Um, but it's I don't sort of the get same that. as being gluten intolerant. Like. Kind of, yeah. But uh, I don't think to that extreme, but I kind of get that feverish kind of hot feeling. Yeah, right. And um, I think certain... I've stopped red wine now altogether because it does that. Yeah? Mm. But um, if I drink, like, an Asahi or, like, a Sapporo or... Even a Budweiser, I think they're like half and half rice yeah. and wheat. Like, so what I'm do you fine. get on a rider if you're ever on tour? What are, you, <laughs> what are your requests? I'm fine with like, I can do with like draft beers and stuff, yeah. I think. Um, but man, I'm kind of over getting paid in alcohol as well. Yeah. Like, Give me 20 bucks. 
Man, I feel that. Like, like, I don't care about the alcohol. Just give me, like, a good meal. Yeah. Or, like, 10, 15 bucks. I'll be fucking happy. Well, it's just, like, coming off the back of playing, you know, whatever, it's been 13, 14 shows. Beer at every rider. You just, like, every night you have all of this beer <laughs> and... Like, oh, why didn't we request like halloumi sandwiches or sandwiches. something? Yeah. <laughs> I know that's such a rookie rookie era. Like now, man, like uh, or even just a recommendation for a good restaurant nearby. Yeah, I'm way more happy with that than you know the same fucking carton of extra dry yeah. or something like that. I'm it's just gonna <laughs> start requesting like coconut water and <laughs> quinoa and <laughs> oats. Yeah, yeah. Just get real Almond healthy milk. before going on yeah. stage. You know. Well, why not? I mean, I think the whole it's weird, like, uh, I don't know if, if it's, like, really synonymous with musicians and creative people, but the whole health aspect seems kind of nerdy when you bring it yeah, up, like, totally. going to the gym. But, man, when I tour with really experienced bands, like, when we toured with Gang of Youth, like, yeah. they're all really health conscious. Yeah. And I that, think that's the- a, that, to me, is a cool thing to be able to, like, get up in the morning not hungover and go to the gym instead. Yeah. Have a shower, go to sound check, eat a great meal, don't yeah. drink, maybe have a few on stage. Yeah. But, you know, you want to make the stage, that's where you peak, not yeah. the partying. After, well, I think you, you, know. you reach this stage where it's, where it's like, well, I'm a professional mm. and this is my job. Your craft. I yeah. think like when you do your first couple of tours or especially if you're playing just locally in, in bars and stuff, that it's like your social life at first and then, you do a tour and you're like, oh, this is just a big, big party, a big holiday party. But if you're doing that for a living and you're, you're going on your whole life, like it gets to a point where you're like, I've got to sort that out and be healthy. And I really respect, you see it at festivals, you know, like you'll have bands that are in their room just getting absolutely wasted. And then you have the the proper like headline acts and you, you look at them and they're like stretching and they're, mm. you know, eating really good food before they go on. And I think that's really cool. Mm. And they, they just, they show up for the show. Yeah, exactly. And they're not perpetually hanging out just yeah, hitting piss. Not, Although that's good too. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying don't party, but it's like, um, I don't know, it shouldn't be weird if, if you decide to kind of want to take care of your body. Yeah. Like, that's your vehicle, especially us drummers, man. Yeah. It's the most physical thing. Yeah. You, you, I, you can't be a lazy, you can be a lazy guitarist and kind of sit there and uh, be half pissed and kind yeah. of noodle on the guitar, but we can't. Yeah. Every part of our body is moving when we're on stage. Yeah, I haven't had it very often, but I, I've had a couple of shows where I get to the energetic spots and I'm out of breath and I actually have heart palpitations. I'm like, geez, I've got to sort myself out. <laughs> yeah, man, like we can't afford to, you know, be uh, be sloppy with our shit, man. Yeah. It really shows when you when you have a good drummer it's almost like you don't notice them. Yeah. But when there's a bad drummer, you're like, holy shit, yeah. that guy's out of time. Yeah, man. He's not even hitting his fills like on time. Or playing too like, much. Like I got in trouble uh, in one of the shows for, I was drunk. And I guess this is the thing. I either get really like cheeky and energetic or I get sleepy. I was cheeky and energetic <laughs> and I decided it would be a good idea to just like do way too many feels. And like, <laughs> I, got, I got a bit too creative, you know. Um, and I got in trouble after the show for doing too much. So I I agree with what you're saying. You just got to be in that pocket and, as you said, like be a support. Mm. The the, the backbone. Yeah. But it's funny that you you don't notice a a really good drummer. Yeah. Like really get taken for granted. I know. Not even visually because of the fact that they're in the back, but just 
or like in terms of the, the sound. Yeah. No one's actually uh, really paying attention when when it's really in the pocket because yeah. that's how essential it is. You don't even notice it. Maybe we should go all the way up the front to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love bands that play. You know, the drummers on the side. Yeah, you yeah. Ever, you ever played on the side? Yeah, before I've, done, the I've done the side thing. I think there's problems when you start dealing with like fold back and the actual Definitely, sound issues. Yeah. Oh, sound guys hate moving wedges, man. Yeah, especially for drummers. But the the, <laughs> the way that I'm setting up now, like I'm almost completely triggering everything. Mm-hmm. The only acoustic things I have are the cymbals and the snare drum, which has a trigger on it as well. So it's it's only acting as like a as a trigger. Mm. Um, Do you so, have a Brady snare? No, nah. Who was it? Sorry, yeah, I thought you had a Brady I snare. I wish I did though, because mm. uh, for those of you who don't know, Brady, they're a really amazing West Australian um, drum company that used Jarrah Wood to make snare drums. Uh, and they're world famous, but he's not making them anymore. He's, he's stopped making yeah, them. Yeah, so every single one is a collector's item, and That's they were crazy. expensive before. But imagine what they're going to be like in a few years. They can be collectors. That's crazy. I kind of um, regret not getting one. Yeah, I really, really do. Yeah, um, me too. But oh well, well probably I've used one before. Yeah, and I'm like, holy shit! Yeah, they're amazing. Holy shit! Like, um, it's just a a density to the. When yeah. you do rim shots on a Brady man, it's just like holy shit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's the thing I kind of like about triggering is you can just take whatever sound was on the record and and have a way to recreate that. The problem with it is for making it feel natural. So I I wasn't touring with a bass drum. I was just I just had a kick trigger, um, but it was really cool because I I just went through all of the sounds on the record and was using the actual bass drum sound that was recorded each song, mm. and I think audibly for the audience it sounds amazing um yeah as long as i was comfortable playing it it, it feels amazing too mm. you know um i've yeah i've tried that before um relayering your own kick drum and your own snare drum yeah but in sample form yeah um so you get that that double one on top of the other sort yeah of sound that just makes it so much more beefier yeah just coming straight out of the pa as a sample yeah um but also you it opens the Paves the way for a lot of experimentation with EQing yep. certain uh, kicks and snares, adding effects and stuff yeah, like definitely. that. Yeah, definitely. You run an SPD SX? Yes. Yeah. SX. And then uh, I've got, I've actually, the, the kick has a separate control. So that's that's running through the SPD, but it's got a sub out. So um, our sound guy had complete control over the bass drum mm-hmm. aside from all the other samples. Yeah. Uh, which made a huge difference because in a in a room, depending on the room, like the bass frequencies is the one that's a pain in the ass, you know. Yeah. You jump around like a crazy person. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to practice with, like to play with that setup because uh, it's te- the, back to technology, like the way it's melding with music nowadays, it's really changing the game. Mm. Yeah, because... Um it's not a, a crutch, like you're not relying on it, but you're using it to kind of accent your playing. Yeah. To kind of integrate it to, to flavor, I guess, yep. the playing. But I think there's there's nothing... I think you need a drummer. And when I watch certain acts, like electronic acts, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a... Basically just like a, a laptop, a yeah. bunch of laptops. It, it, you really do miss that backbone of seeing... Because it's so kinetic and then the movement, you need that drummer yeah like a physical a physical guy yeah like a physical representation of what what's making the uh the noise you know yeah um and i feel like as far as enjoying a show and like moving to a show when you see someone getting in like you know laying a beat down you're you're watching it and Mm. you're you're getting into it well it triggers that primal yeah drums yeah it's the first way of communicating Mm. 
it, yeah, it definitely triggers the uh, the 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 root chakra because yeah, you yeah. know that that vibration. That's why bass is so triggering to our psyche when we hear deep bass. Mm. It makes us want to move naturally because of that pro- that primitive instinct in yeah, us yeah. that what you're really reacting to is vibration. Yeah, exactly. And all music, all life is, is vibration. vibration and light. That's all it is. You know, nothing is, even when you look down to the smallest atom, it's vibrating. Yeah, it's, it's in true. motion. Nothing is really still at any time. Um, everything is energy and vibration. So, man, I think I love playing drums because of that very fact. It it triggers that primal instinct in anyone. Yeah, yeah. No matter what culture, no matter what background you come from, you hear a good beat, you just start you move tapping, to it. tapping your foot. You just like, want to move to it, That's why they man. call it the universal language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Man, thanks so much for coming down. No worries. Man. Thanks for having me. I hope you're not too, like, tired. Nah, I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm actually, I've got a fair bit of energy, except for the fact that I'm moving house, which <laughs> I'm sure that people listening know how stressful that can be. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst. It's the worst because you find out you have way more shit than you thought you did. Yeah, I've got to think about Gumtree, you know, like yeah. <laughs> all yeah. of that stuff. G- giving away half of, yeah. half of your stuff just to make it fit. But. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, man, thanks so much for coming. Um, yeah, cheers. I'm looking forward to seeing where you go from here. Thanks, man. Like, you've grown so much in the, not only from when we first ever met um, back in 2008 or nine, yeah. but um, through the, I think we did a little tour with you guys yeah, at Reese yeah. as well, with yeah. Katie, and um, you're just one of those people that you're just exponentially growing and yeah, thanks, reaching man. more people, man. Yeah, so, it's, been a, uh, it's been a fun journey as well. Yeah. So I'm just letting the universe handle it. Um, I'm just doing the, going to try to stick to the artistic side and see yeah. how it goes. Letting go of control. Yeah, Just exactly. going with the flow. Exactly. Um, thanks so much. Um, where can people reach you? You're on Facebook. Yep, and- so I've got a... Uh, Actually, I've stepped up. Website. I've even got a Twitter now. <laughs> Holy shit! I know. Um, I don't use it, but you can find me there. Uh, got an Instagram and a Facebook. Uh, do not have a website. Okay, that's but, all right. You don't um, need a website. That's a, yeah. I feel like I can't get a website until I'm a serious person. Serious, <laughs> serious. Yeah. So uh, you can look up Sam Ma. So uh, your second name is M A H E R. Yep. Uh, on Facebook and check out all the, yeah all of his videos are fucking sick. You can probably even YouTube yeah. the name and, and yeah, get some of the handpan stuff. Four or five well mm-hmm. shot videos on there. There's so. one of you in Frio and yeah. there's heaps of heaps of ones. If you want to look up the hangpan as well, I suggest you do because it's a fucking fascinating little metallic UFO of an yep. instrument. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks so much for coming, man. Thank you. And all the best for the future. Cheers. The Mission Control Podcast. Brought to you by Hip Flask, the socially networked gig guide made locally. Available on the App Store or Google Play, free of charge. Go to hipflaskapp.com.